So today we're starting a new sermon collection called The Gift Exchange. You know, and I'm pretty sure that during the holiday season is something that each of us will participate in, right? It's almost synonymous with Christmas at this point. Uh, whether it's secret Santas with coworkers and acquaintances, whether it's white elephants with your friends, or, or, or whether you just exchange gifts with a member of your family, like we all will take part in this and give and receive gifts from our friends. And you know, as this holiday season comes up on us and as we have holiday glee, excitement, and cheer, um, I think God invites us to be a part of a gift exchange of a different kind. Because I don't know about you, but the holidays are great, but sometimes they can bring on seasonal depression. Sometimes they can cause people to be worried because they don't have the life that they wish that they had. And this is a reminder of, of, a, of a loved one not being with them another year around for the first time. And what I believe God invites us to do this year is to exchange our worries for his peace. Because I just sense that there are some people in here that are so worried about 2023. Or you might be really, really worried about the holiday season, wondering how bills are going to be paid and wondering when you're going to take the next steps in your relationship. God, when am I going to get a car? God, when are you going to open up a door for a house? When are you going to let me have a spouse? When can I have a baby? God, we've been gone without one for quite some time, and we've been trying. God, when are you going to open up the door? So, so some of us find ourselves in the waiting room of God right now, and we're trying to figure out what do I do during while I'm in the hallway. And so over the course of the next few weeks, I, I, I want to help us work through this because I think it's going to be a blessing and it's going to be encouraging. You know, one thing you'll know about me is I love the Christmas season. Oh, I love it. I was listening to Christmas songs before Thanksgiving. Don't judge me. My Christmas tree was up at the top of November, right, because I just love singing. I make my kids sing Christmas songs around the house. And they're like, all right, Daddy, like Jesus, right? So this holiday season, um, we're going to enjoy ice skating, even though I can't ice skate. Uh, we're going to go to see some lights. We're going to listen to the music, right? We're going to listen to the Temptation Christmas, right, all, all year, right? We're going to just listen. We're going to play some games inside. We're going to bake some treats. And I am going to make Sarah watch uh, the Christmas story with me 10,000 times before it's all said and done. Or Die Hard, depending on your persuasion there. Maybe Die Hard is your movie. Either way, we're going to watch a Christmas story. It's, it's a festive time of the year. And if you think about it, many of us are excited. Like, we're excited for the time off and to do Pollyannas and things like that. But I think God invites us into a gift exchange of another kind. Because during this season, we can focus our effort and our attention all on us and our immediate family. Right, like, listen, there, hear me, there's nothing wrong with giving gifts, there's nothing wrong with Christmas festivities, there's nothing wrong with buying those PJs and lounging around the house. I hope that it's amazing for you. But one thing I think God invites us to do is to be careful not to turn the seasons of light or the season of lights into the season of self. Where we focus on us, we focus on our relationships, our families. For us, here's, let's just be honest, if we're not careful, we can turn this season it can be a gravitational pull to focus on us. But today, in light of us taking up our impact offering, God invites us to an invitation or a gift exchange of another kind. He's inviting us to exchange the kingdom of self and participate in the kingdom of God. And so, friends, I want us to have the greatest holiday ever. I'm up early in the morning praying for you that God would bless you. But I don't want it just to be a great holiday for you and your family. 
through your giving and your generosity, it can be a blessing to someone else's family as the holiday season approaches, and it can be a blessing in 2023 as we seek to see the power and the presence of God pervade through this city as God, as God blesses us. Amen, church? And here's what happens when, you're gener when you give generously to God. This is what it says in Psalm 112, 5 and 6. It said, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. They will be remembered forever. Like, let me just tell you, your generosity can go much further and last much longer than your feet can. And so when you participate and you engage in this, we see God do a monumental work. So I'm believing, family, that through your obedience in 2023, your obedience today and the rest of the year, that God is going to multiply the impact of our church. He's going to help us do something to catalyze a revival in this city, in this region, so that people who are far from Jesus will know that he's God, that he's alive, and that he wants an authentic and genuine relationship with them. Amen, family? And so you might be wondering, Pastor, where do we get this idea of the impact offering from? Like, is this something that I can find in Scripture? Is this a biblical idea? Is this something that churches simply take part in at the end of the year? Like, what exactly is this thing? Well, I want to let you know that the impact offering is something that we see all throughout the Scripture. But namely today, we see it in this man's, this, this letter in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The person that wrote this letter, his name is Paul. Paul wrote letters all throughout the Mediterranean region in the first century. And then we collected his letters, and it composes what we call most of the New Testament. Those are letters that he wrote to churches. And so during one letter, he, we find out that there was a famine in Jerusalem. We find out that there was a, an awful famine. We find out that they don't have any food. So Paul takes up an impact offering. He says, I want to help provide for the needs of the families that have been impacted by this, by this famine. And I want each and every one of us to contribute to it. And so although he's writing to the church of Corinth, which is a marvelously gifted church in the first century in this passage to contribute to the war welfare of people around, I think the same exhortation applies to us today. He's, a, he's encouraging us to be generous with our resources and know that God will supply our need according to his riches and glory. And so I've got one point and several subpoints today. Okay, here's my one point. Giving is an opportunity, not an obligation. Giving is an opportunity, not an obligation. I, I would argue that many of us have low-grade dissatisfaction with our lives right now. No matter where we are, whether you're a high schooler about to graduate to college or about to go into trade school, and things didn't work out. Whether you're in college and you're trying to find your spouse that's going to be with you or you're trying to establish in a career. Whether you're graduated and you're out or you're in your career and you're trying to figure out your life. Each of us struggles because what we desire doesn't often align with what we see in our lives. And so we have this deep sense of frustration that continues to happen day after day. But I would argue that most of the dissatisfaction that we have in life is because we view our responsibilities as obligations and not opportunities. Let me just tell you that when you view things as an obligation, it sucks the life out of it, doesn't it? It takes the enthusiasm and the joy from it. It's like you almost die a little death. When you're like, oh, I got to get up and go to work tomorrow. 
oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. And, and anytime you start a sentence with I've got to do X, it's more than likely that it's going to be a joyless sad, non-enthusiastic, I don't know if that's a word or unenthusiastic, but what I do know is that you won't take that project on with any joy or excitement. Why? Because you're morally or legally bound and obligated to take that particular thing on. But what if we didn't think of things as an obligation, but we looked at it as an opportunity? What if we said, what if we reframed our thinking and we said, oh, I've got it. I got to get up and I got to work out in the morning. What if we say, I get to get up and I get to work out in the morning because by doing that, I'm going to get healthy. And even though the Lord has numbered my days, if I don't have a healthy plan in place, I can actually cut them short. So thank you, Jesus, that I have mobility of my lungs. Thank you that I can pull in oxygen through my lungs and I exhale carbon dioxide and the oxygen goes to my blood and circulates through my appendages. So I'm able to go work out and be in the best shape of my life so I can see my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. What if it was an opportunity, not an obligation? Somebody saying, oh, pastor, I've got to go to work tomorrow. Don't you know that I don't like this job, but you like that check? You like when that direct deposit hits, you up there speaking in tongues as soon as that deposit hits. Don't even know how to do it, just making up words. Honda Shabosha. You like, yo, that's, I don't know what that is, sir. We like that. What if it's like, oh, I don't get to go, I have to go to work, but you might be going to work and it might impact somebody's life. What if you think about your opportunity, like, well, I only work in retail. No, 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 no. You're dignifying a mother and father that bring their child into that place to try to figure out a great outfit for their son or daughter so that they can be dignified and walk around with self-confidence. Oh, I'm just, I just work on the computer. No, no, no. You don't just work on the computer or design stuff. You are expressing the creativity of God through your work and showing off the myriad of his creative abilities. You got an opportunity. What I'm saying, what, you're like, oh, I got to teach tomorrow. I'm so glad for this Christmas break because I'm getting tired of my students and I got to have a hard conversation. I feel that one, though. I feel you on that a little bit, a little bit, right? But no, no, you don't have to deal with problem students. You don't have to deal with them. You get the opportunity to meet a student in a difficult place and help them deal with the issues of the past so that they can have a, flu so they can have a prosperous future. Don't you know that most of the issues that you have in life is because you are not seeing the benefit behind why you do all that you do. You're not seeing it. God is using you in your sphere of influence. But one of the ways that the devil tries to hinder us is by making us feel like what we do really doesn't matter. But what you do really does matter because you're ultimately making an impact in people's lives in ways that you don't even imagine. So we need to scrub from our dictionary, I have to do this. And we need to apply this idea of, I get to do this. And this is what we see in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. Paul makes the distinction between opportunity and obligation. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God. Somebody say the grace of God. That was given to the churches of Macedonia. Now, when he's talking about the church of Macedonia here, he's actually referring to three churches in the Macedonian region, which is in Europe. 
He's talking about the church of Philippi, which he helped to plant and was actually a, a really wonderful, joy-filled church. He wrote something called the letter to the Philippians when he was in jail, and he was talking about how they exuded joy. He's writing to the Thessalonians who had questions about end-time prophecies and fulfillments. He wrote to them, and he's writing to the Bereans. The Bereans are the group of people that, that, that studied the scriptures so diligently that when Paul the evangelist came in to tell them about Christ, they could already know that he was correct because they were studying the Bible already. Are y'all with me? So he's writing to this group of people, and he, and he describes their giving to this impact offering as the grace of God. Now, why does he say that? Why would he describe it as this cherish, this charis, or this gift of God? And I'll tell you why he did it. He did it because that's what their giving symbolized. They were so excited to give toward this mission because it was an expression, amen, DJ, because it was an expression of how God had been, give, had been generous to them through Jesus Christ. They were like, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to be like Jesus. Because Jesus left the comforts of heaven. He left the riches that was in heaven, walking streets of gold with all these mansions, being in unity with the Father and the Spirit, and they complimenting one another. He saw that there was a problem that we had on earth, which is our spiritual bankruptcy. He saw that it would have taken us an eternity to pay it back. But rather than staying comfortable in heaven, rather than just sleeping in his silk sheets, staying in his robe, Rather than just hanging out with the angels and the angelic beings in heaven, he came down into this chaos of earth and he became man enough to owe our debt and God enough to pay our debt. The words of King of Athanasius. He became man enough in which he put on human flesh. He put it on like a scuba suit. He took his divinity and he tucked it in and didn't use his divinity when he had to. Because he lived a spirit-filled life in which he was following the commands of God the Father. That's why he said, I can't do anything unless the Father works through me to do it. Are y'all hearing me? He was saying, I'm divine. I'm powerful. I can cause the legion of angels to come down right now, but I'm not going to do it because I have humbled myself to the will of God the Father, and I won't use my divine power to my own advantage. He left that comfort, came down into the chaos of earth to smell the stench of death, to experience the repugnance of iniquity and the nastiness of sin. And then eventually that same group of people that he came to save, who yelled, who yelled Hosanna a few chapters earlier, yelled crucify him a few weeks later. And he dies on a cross. Nobody was even there to help him. Only his mama was there, and James and his and Peter had tried to cut the bull Malchus' ear off. He was trying to slice him in the top of the head, cut his ear off. He abandoned him. All the people that said that they were going to be with him to the end abandoned him. And Jesus died on the darkness of the cross with a little bit more than a loincloth on for you and I. And then not only that, he was poked in his side. He was impaled through his hands. They put on him a crown of thorns, and he could have called the legions of angels to come down, but he didn't because love kept him on that cross. You and I kept him on that cross. And so when I think about Jesus, and they're like, when I think about what my Savior done, 
When I think about how my Savior bled and how he had lacerations in his back and how he had all these splinters in his mind, what they're saying is I can't help but to be generous because Jesus was generous with me on the cross of Calvary. Are y'all hearing me today, church? He said you were generous to me. I, 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 Paul didn't have to twist their arm. He didn't say, oh, this is a sacrifice. This is hard to do. They were like, no, 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 no. We, I get to be like my Savior who didn't have to give us the ultimate impact offering, which was his body and his resurrection. He didn't have to do it, but he did it joyfully. And on the cross, he poured out the riches of salvation to me. Woo, I got justification, which means that I'm forensically cleared of all of the things that I've done instantaneously. Even though I'm guilty, the judge said that I'm innocent. I've got redemption, which means that I was broken and I was dilapidated and beat up, but he bought me back with a price. I'll take that. I got sanctification, which means I'm positionally as clean as I ever be, but he's still over time cleaning out all of the things that don't look like Jesus on the inside. Then on top of that, he became my propitiation, which means that he, will, he sat in my place, endured the shame that I should have done, and he did it with a smile on his face for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. See, the thing I love about Jesus is he doesn't just come to earth empty-handed. He came with some gifts. He came with the gift of salvation. He said, on top of that, I'm going to give your life purpose and meaning and value. I'm going to allow you to borrow my oxygen. I'm going to allow you to use my blood. I'm going to give you a reasonable portion of health and strength. I'm going to bless you. God provided all of that. How much more should we be generous? That's what he's saying. And they were like, no, this ain't no obligation in church. Let me just tell you, the impact offering is not because we're trying to meet some bill we, we aren't talking to you about. We're in the black, amen, somebody. But what we're doing is we're giving you an opportunity to invest in this thing so that your dollars can make an impact in the region around us. Are y'all hearing me today, church? Now, you might be wondering, Pastor, I hear you talking about this as an opportunity. What exactly is this an opportunity to do? I'm glad you asked. Here's my first subpoint. It's an opportunity to meet the needs of others. It's an opportunity to meet the needs of others. So not only was there giving an expression of thanksgiving to God for what he had provided, but it would go toward meeting the needs of others. That's what, these, that's what this is going to do. That's what the impact offering is going to do. It's going to allow us to plant churches. There are, there are church planners out there that want to have a life-giving church like we have in this community right here in Cherry Hill. They want that in their region. But in order to start a church, it costs something called money, right? As much as we want to be spiritual about it, it costs money to start a church. Amen. All this equipment, guess what it costs? We didn't buy this on faith. We, we bought it with money. And so in order for church planners to start churches all throughout the region and the Delaware Valley region and around um, we want to give towards that. We want to give towards uh, helping people at Thomas, that are students at Thomas Dudley Middle School and all around have calming rooms, right? We're working on a plan now so that we can do that. And on top of that, we want to be ready for some spirit-led opportunities. I don't know what that even entails. I just know that if God tells you to be ready, it's better to be ready than have to get ready. Like if the opportunity presents itself and you aren't ready, it's too late. But if you're ready for that opportunity, if you've been training and preparing and saving, when it's time to get that house, you can jump on it. But if you haven't been doing any of those things, once the opportunity presents itself, it's too late. So I don't know about you. I want to be ready for whatever God has to do. And so some of you are like, Pastor, that sounds good. That's cute, Pastor. But uh, let me ask you this. How in the world am I going to help other people with their needs when I'm struggling with 
my needs. How do you want to sit up there and tell me about how we're going to provide for others when my money is funny, my change is strange. I got more month than money, and I can barely help the ends meet. Well, number one, I would say you pro we probably need to sit down and get you a budget if you don't have one. And we probably need to look at your, your, your spending. I would probably say that, but let me just go on. That's not my sermon for today. I don't want anybody sending Pastor Jacob any nasty emails because of that. But, but you're like, how am I going to give to something when, to be honest with you, I'm broke? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the economic situation that the Macedonian churches were in. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, during a severe trial. Somebody say severe trial. Brought on by affliction, their abundant joy, and their extreme poverty. Somebody say extreme poverty. Resulted in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, let's talk. They were experiencing two things. Number one, they were experiencing persecution. Uh, during this time, it was, it was frowned upon for you to worship Jesus. Let me take it back. Not, not frowned upon that you worship Jesus. It was frowned upon that you worship Jesus exclusively. It was okay if you worship Jesus among the pantheon of other gods. If you, if you worship Jesus and Zeus or Z, Jesus and any of these other Greek gods, that was a good thing. But Christians stood boldly in the first three centuries and said, no, 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 we don't worship these other gods. We worship Jesus exclusively because we know that he's the way, the truth, and the life. We don't have to offer any sacrifice or any cultic practices to these other gods. No, we're going to offer it to Jesus because he is the one that paid for our sins on the cross of Calvary. He's the one that endured the shame. He's the one that endured the pain. And let me just tell you, church, that's the God I can serve. That's why I don't pray with no crystals or I don't pray to the universe. The universe hasn't done anything for me. The universe didn't die on the cross for me. The universe didn't experience a hardship on the cross. I don't care how much sage you burn in your house. All it does is make it stink. You can't remove any, any spirit from that. You know how you remove a spirit from a situation? When you have Jesus in your home and you're praying and you're declaring and declaring the promises of God from the scriptures and you are reminding yourself on a regular basis that it's you and you alone that has control over these demonic forces. None of that sage stuff works. Stop wasting your money. Y'all don't want to talk? Y'all don't want to amen to that? Okay, that's fine. It's fine. And let me, let me go deeper since I'm here. That's why I don't pray to my ancestors. I don't pray to my ancestors. They're not intermediaries. There's only one intermediary between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. I don't care what they told you. I love my ancestors. I'm grateful that many of them serve Jesus and love him, but they're in heaven right now, many of them enjoying his presence, and I don't have to pray for them because they don't have the power to do anything about it. Jesus has the power to do everything about it. If they had the power, they would have resurrected long ago. Well, maybe they wouldn't have because they're like, being with Jesus is better than being here on this earth, broke, struggling with finances, dealing with all this crap. Like, I don't, let me just say, all, none of those things work. But Jesus does work, and the, and the children of, and, the, and the people in this passage, they were experiencing persecution because they professed and believed in the exclusivity of Jesus. But on top of that, they were poor. Somebody say poor. Some of y'all think you poor. I don't think you're as poor as the way they're describing this passage. Now, now, some of you are struggling financially, which we understand. But some of you think that you are financially destitute when you don't have a certain amount of money in the bank. You're like, oh, I'm down to my last $1,000 or $500. I'm broke. But it's like, no, that's not what they're talking about. It says in this passage that they experience extreme poverty. Somebody say extreme poverty. 
We took that word for extreme poverty and we derived this idea of a bathosphere. Anybody ever heard of a bathosphere before? A bathosphere is a tool that you use in order to probe the depths of the ocean. So in other words, what he was saying was they were dirt, dirt poor. They were so poor they didn't have two nickels to rub together. They had, in, they had nothing. But they gave out of their generosity. Now, I want you to get this. They didn't use persecution or poverty as an excuse not to give. They didn't say, oh, I got credit card bills. I got student loans. I got rent and mortgage. Matter of fact, can we take up an offering for us? Because we're struggling. No, no, they said, no, in light of what Jesus has done, I'm going to give generously towards this. And so they were like, they were like, let this overflow in generosity. Now, some of you are wondering, how in the world can you be experiencing persecution and poverty and still give generously? I'm glad you asked. He tells us right here in verse 5. He says, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves to the Lord. Say, somebody say, to the Lord. And then to us by God's will. It is rooted. You can give generously in the midst of any circumstance if you first give yourself to the Lord. Now, somebody is wondering, what exactly does it mean to give yourself to the Lord? It, it means this. It means that you realize that you and everything you have belong to God. It says it in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Right? So that means the actual physical earth, right, the universe in which it sits, the, that, the stuff therein, that means all the animals and the grass and the subterranean stuff, the, the, all of that type of stuff, and they, us, that dwell therein. So what that means is that you and I all belong to the Lord, and all of the resources that you have in your bank account, in your IRAs, in your insurances, all that belongs to God too. So we are conduits of the grace of God. We don't just let the riches of God get plugged up in our home. Are y'all hearing me today, church? So like, like we are owners. Here's the thing. If you invest with any company, when you sit down with the advisor, they are not supposed to invest your money according to their own desires. That would be wrong. Why? That would be fraud or you would want to call the SEC. Why? Because it's not their money. Your, your accountant can't tell you what to do, well, they may, sometimes they should, but your accountant cannot or your investment person cannot tell you that, yo, you're investing in this, et cetera, et cetera. No, why? Because it's not their money. And God is saying the same thing, that what you have in your pocket, what you have on your clothes, all belongs to me. So I want you to invest in things that are my priority. Are y'all hearing me? That's how you commit yourself to the Lord. So how do you do it practically? Well, you recognize that it all belongs to God. And you recognize that we are stewards of our time talents, and treasure. And how we do this practically is as we take up the impact offering and we change the world and we believe that God is going to use us to do some mighty stuff in 2023 and at the end of this year, what we do is we pray and ask God before we write a check. We pray and ask God to give us wisdom before we fill out a connect card. That is how we commit ourselves to the Lord. Are y'all hearing me today, church? So, Lord, the question that we all should ask is, Lord, what do you want me to give to this? Like, it doesn't have to be equal to your neighbor, but it does have to be us participating in this because it's a group project, not an individual one. Are y'all hearing me? Now, he lets us know that it's not going to be easy, right? Giving is not easy. Look what he says in verse 6 and 7. He says, so we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so you should complete among you this act of grace, all right? See, so, so he's saying that you started this thing out. I want you to continue it. Now, as you excel in everything, 
in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, in your love for us, excel in this act of grace also. Do you see that right there, church? What he's saying is, he's like, I know that you're growing. I know that you're maturing. I know that you, some of y'all are starting to read your Bible now. You don't work through the Bible app, praise God. You going through the Bible in one year. You praying, shout out to you praying. You don't just pray on the way to work. You carved out like five to six minutes in the morning time. And you talking to Jesus, go ahead. That's a good start, right? You try, you're trying to hold your tongue, right? There's things that you could say at work, but you'd be like, mm, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to cuss them out. Not today, devil, not today. You've been holding your tongue. You've written complex emails, and you're about to send it and detonate the whole department, talk trash about everybody, but you didn't do it. You are growing so much. I remember one time somebody wrote this nasty post about me online, and about 25 people chimed in. And guess how many responses I had? 25. I was going to comment on each and every one of their posts. I remember their names, and I remember telling my wife, like, hey, babe, listen, I'm about to write to these people on this post because they disrespected me about, a, about something that happened. And she was like, delete it right now. In that moment, she became my Holy Ghost. Delete it right now. Delete it. She's like, listen, when you're, all you're doing is throwing fire, fuel into the fire, and it's going to blow up. But if you act like it doesn't exist, then that fire will soon go out, right? So some of y'all are doing good right now. You're growing. You're marvelously gifted. You're serving on a dream team. I see you. But Paul says, I want you to grow in this discipline as well. He's like, I know you're growing and using your gifts, but I want you to grow in your giving as well because it's an act of grace. He said, I want you, now, now get this, it's a hard word, but I think it's a good one. What he's saying is, your spiritual maturation and your giving and your commitment to give is connected to each other. Because Jesus is saying, you can I can have your money and not have your heart, but I cannot have your heart without your money. And so what he's saying to us in here today, church, is not only is giving an act of worship, not only is it an opportunity for our arts to overflow, but it's evidence that Jesus is your God and not money is your God, right? Here's the other opportunity. Here's my second one, my second sub point. It's an opportunity to share your sincerity, the sincerity of your love for each other. I hope I wrote that right to show the sincerity. Yeah, sort of. That's my fault. Anyway, English major. Take it off the screen. Don't let the English majors get to it. It's the opportunity to show your sincerity toward each other. Look what he says. I'm not commanding you. Listen to Paul. He's so smooth. I'm not commanding you to give to the impact offering. Rather, by means of diligence of others, I'm, get this, testing the, the genuineness of your love. He's like, I know I'm an apostle. I know I'm an apostle. I know that I started the church that you're in right now. I know that I'm multilingual. I know that I've written letters all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the, the Mediterranean region and become the New Testament. I know I have multiple degrees and I speak multiple languages, but I'm not using my apostolic authority to force you to give to this. But what I do want to do is I want to describe what this poor Macedonian church is doing. And then I want you to compare that with your affluent church and how this little poor church gave more than those who were affluent. He's saying, based upon what you give, that is actually connected to or it shows the sincerity of your faith. Are y'all hearing me today, church? So let me just ask you, let me ask you, church, let me ask you this. If your love of God and others 
is connected to your giving and your sincere. No, that's not it. If I say I love God and others, yet I do not give to them, what does it say about the sincerity of my love? What does it say? If I say I love my family, but I won't give my time, talent, and treasure to them, is my love for them genuine? All right, okay, nobody's amen in there. Let me, let's, let's, let's do this. Favorite scripture in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What if it said, for God so loved the world that he gave nothing? God so loved the world that he gave you a Reese's Pieces. God so loved the world that he gave you an IOU. You wouldn't think much about the genuine nature of his love for you. Why? Because he didn't give you anything to help you experience life in that abundantly. It was, an, it was, it was clear that he didn't love you the way that he said he does because he's like, I can help you, but don't touch. You can't have any things in my pocket. But what Jesus is saying is, no, no. God is like, I gave you my first and my best. I didn't send an angel to redeem you. I, 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 didn't, I didn't have you go through a bunch of heifers and bulls and offer, and offer all these offerings. I didn't have that. I gave you my son. He was a once and for all sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. I, bang, I gave you the best that I had. The least you can do is give to me as I have graciously given to you. Are y'all hearing me today, church? Here's the third one. It's an opportunity to be like Jesus. It's an opportunity to be like Jesus. Look what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, that his poverty you might become rich. Listen, no one is more generous than Jesus. No one. He's the ultimate example. And I've, and I've said this, but I don't think we can beat the point as much, that he did this on the cross, guys. You, you've got to look at the cross as him offering himself up for each and every one of us so that we don't have to individually pay on our account to God forever. Isn't few things worse than credit card debt? But that interest just accumulates month after month, right? For things you bought, you be like, man, I bought that in 2010. I'm still paying on it. And that debt just accumulates. Well, what if Jesus kept a record of all the debt that we had? What if he charged you for every breath? There goes another one. How much interest would it be? What if he charged you for each of your heartbeats? What if he charged you for your blood? What if he charged you for your insurance and your home and the measure of hair that you have? What if he charged you for that? This debt would be incurring for a generation. But Jesus said, in one payment on the cross of Calvary, I'm going to cover the expense. I'm going to pay it off so you and I do not have to be worried about doing so. He left the riches of heaven and came down into the poverty of earth so you and I could become rich. I know you don't feel like it, but you're rich in God's blessing. You're rich. You're rich. He loves you. Like, he's rich in mercy towards us. He's rich in forgiveness. Do you know what the Old Testament saints had to do in order to be forgiven? The priest had to take a sacrifice into the temple once a year, and all it did, it was like layaway. It, you, you remember layaway? Where you pay on something? And it's just holding it at bay until you finally get it. That's what that thing kind of was. It was layaway. He was giving us layaway grace to, to cover the expense over time. But in Jesus, he said, no, 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 no. He pulled up his platinum card and he just paid it right there for us. Friends, that's what Jesus has done. And he's gracious. And he's kind. So here's what I want to do as the band comes. Here's what I want you to do. Here's my conclusion. 
Here's what I want to encourage you today. Number one, take on this with eagerness. Take on this with eagerness. It says this in verse 10 and 11. And in this matter, I am giving my advice because it's profitable for you. Who has begun last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it? God is saying, I just don't want you to do this because I'm asking you. I want you to want to do it. Right? Have you, has somebody ever invited you to something and said, you can come if you want? You'd be like, I don't want to come with you. <laughs> you can come over if you want. That's a big difference between, why don't you come over? I would really enjoy your company. And what Jesus is saying is, don't give me the, uh, I'll give to it if you want me to give to it. Because the preacher's talking about it. Right? I, he's not saying that. He's saying, I want you to want to give to this. Because when you want to want to give to this, then it's going to transform you. Then it's going to bring about joy. I love a cheerful giver. And Jesus says, I've given you more than you can imagine or think. So number one, I want us to take this on with eagerness. I want all of us to do our part. Here's the second thing. Give according to your means. I know some of us don't have it. We're struggling, I get that. But here's what I, here's what I know about God. Is that when we give to him, he will give us back whatever it is that we gave. Pressed down, shaken together, pouring over our lives. That is a promise from the scripture. Now, I'm not doing the prosperity thing on this line, that line. But what I am saying is that's a, that is a promise from God. That if you give to him, he will make sure that he Somebody's like, well, Pastor, I don't know about giving. Like, like you talk about tithes and offering. Did, I mean, aren't we in the New Testament? In the New Testament, they didn't do that. Did they give tithes and offerings in the Old Testament? They gave 10% of their regular income. They gave 10% for festivals. They gave upwards of 10% for, for the poor. And then they couldn't even maximize their profit as uh, farmers because they had to leave a little bit in the field for winter. 
So they paid much more than 10%. They paid, according to scholars, upwards of 23 to 25% of their regular income. But we, you and I, are on the other side of the cross. We're on the other side of the resurrection. And let me just tell you, Jesus, when, when, when uh, Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give back all that I have, and I'm going to give up to 50%, Jesus didn't say, no, just give 10. He said, salvation has come to your house. Why? Because what you do with your money is an indicator of what happens in your heart. So what we like to say here at Accelerate Church is we don't have a number on it, but we think 10% is a great place to start. And we, but you're like, well, Pastor, I can't do 10% right now. That's okay. But here's what I know. God will provide for you. And we're going to help you. We're going to help you. We'll help you with your budget. We'll help you get it together so that you can experience the joy and blessing of being in the family of God. So let's give to this. And let's impact it. We want to raise $30,000. And I'm believing in faith that what we have, all that we need is in the room. All that we need in order to make an impact. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to turn this over so we can have some announcements. Father, you supply our you supply our needs for your riches and glory. You give to us generously. Father, we ask you right now that you would bless us, that you would open up a mighty door so as to make an impact in this region for your good and for your glory. Lord, we love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, why don't you say amen?